this week on Art in the Air features ceramic pot artisan Kate Tremel, whose work with mixed media produces inspiring vessels for everyday use. Next, we have Michigan City's Music Festival Nick and Sonny Obrovich discussing their collaboration with Paladin's Melissa Pohacek. Our spotlight is on Chesterton Arts Center's summer camps and classes with program director Jillian Bridgman. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art. Welcome. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM and WVLP 103.1 FM. Our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City. Aloha, everyone. We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art on the Air is heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming at WVLP.org, and every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, also streaming live at LakeshorePublicRadio.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Radio. Information about Art on the Air is available on our website, breck.com slash AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our shows are available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for more information about upcoming shows and interviews. We'd like to welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight from the Chesterton Arts Center. She's the program director and uh, has a whole bunch of things coming up, especially like summer camps and uh, classes that we're talking about. Jillian Bridgman, welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight. Aloha. Hey, thank you for having me again. Well, it looks like you have a whole bunch of things coming up on the schedule. And by way of disclosure, I'm also on the board for Chesterton Arts Center, but that really doesn't matter because you have a whole bunch of things going on. I'll tell you, over the last several years, we've seen such a great improvement in the types and the breadth of the programs uh, we offer. But go ahead and tell us about the summer camps and what else you have going on. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm excited to announce that we now have seven weeks of summer art camp happening um, this year. So it's an increase over the past kind of two years. We've been gradually building it up. Each camp is going to highlight various art techniques and media. There's going to be discussions about modern artists. And each one kind of has its own unique theme that will direct the fine art project students will take home at the end of their week. Um, Each camp is offered to two age groups. There's ages 5 to 9 in the morning from 8.30 to 11 and ages 10 um, and up in the afternoon from 12 to 2.30. There are two camps that are an exception to this. Just because of the media that's being used, we had to raise the age just a little bit. So the Creating with Clay and Makers and Thinkers camp are the only exceptions with ages 9 to 12 in the morning and 13 and up in the afternoon. Um, Tuition costs for this ranges from 120 to 140, just depending on the camp session. And of course, if you have an active CAC family membership status with us, you'll receive your 10% discount off of that amount. We do have scholarships 
scholarships available for all students. Um, so if you're interested in applying for a scholarship, applications can be found on our website at chestertonart.org scholarships. Um, I'll do a quick little run through just to give you an idea of the different topics that we're going to highlight this summer throughout those seven weeks. Our first week is June 5th through 8th. It's going to be Discover the Dunes. And during this week, kids are going to focus on all things dunes and really focus on the media of painting as they learn about local artist Frank Dudley, whose landscape works inspired dunes conservation in our area. The second week is June 12th through 15th, and this topic is animals around us. So students are going to hone their drawing skills and learn painting techniques as they create artwork about birds, amphibians, and other local critters um, that we see here in the Duneland area. Third week is June 19th to the 22nd. This is the summer of superheroes. So students will make art inspired by their favorite superheroes and discuss how visual storytelling plays a role in these movies that they watch. There's gonna be a wide range of media for this week, anything from drawing to illustration to painting and mixed media as well. In our next week, we have June 26th through 30th. This is Creating with Clay. So students are going to learn basic skills of working with clay as they explore hand building techniques, surface decoration, and enjoy a wheel throwing experience. The week after that is July 10th through 13th. This is World of Mario, where students will study the magical world of Mario as they create stylized projects in drawing, painting, and building all the way to Bowser's Castle. July 17th through 20th is exploring marine life as students um, get to draw sea turtles, sharks, whales, dolphins, and all types of tropical fish as they learn about our underwater world. The final week is July 24th through 28th, and this one is titled Makers and Thinkers. So students will explore three-dimensional art forms during this sculpture-based camp as they work with paper mache, construct a movable art piece, and experiment with additional 3D media. So we have lots of fun topics throughout those seven weeks. Hopefully there's something for everybody um, to kind of spark your creative interests. What is the teen group doing these days? Yeah, absolutely. So our teen arts group, or TAG, um, they just did a really exciting exhibition over at Red Cup Cafe that just launched earlier in February. It's up through the end of March, so it'll come down March 30th, so you have plenty of time to go and see their beautiful artwork on display over at Red Cup Cafe in downtown Chesterton. Um, this spring, we're doing a really exciting public art project in partnership with Chesterton Park, just about a block from where we're located. So we're kind of in the planning stage of that right now, and we're kind of eager to see uh, where the kids' ideas take them in terms of what we're going to be creating. But it'll be some type of weaving project in the fencing over there at the park. How many kids do you have in the teen arts group? And uh, like, where are they all from? Yeah, absolutely. So currently I have about 13 to 14 active participating kids. Um, so it's been a really great group and great growth, especially in these last couple months. The kids do a great job of kind of incorporating their friends into the group. Um, so that really helps us build it up. And we have kids from currently about four different schools. I have kids from Portage. I have kids from Chesterton, um, kids from Valpo. And then we have one kid from South Central. So it's a really good mix right now. Um, and we're hoping to always obviously grow that more and more. The adult classes looking like? Yeah, absolutely. So adult classes are um, doing great this spring. We have kind of something for everyone. There's classes in watercolor. We have drawing classes, colored pencil classes, printmaking, ceramics, stained glass, glass fusing, photography. So again, something for everybody. You just got to check out our website um, at chestertonart.org. If you go to the classes tab, you can go into the adult page and kind of see that full roster that I just went through. And outside of the uh, programs, we also have some things coming up like the gala. Tell us just a little bit about that. And I think it's coming up in May. Absolutely. So our gala theme this year is Shine. Um, it's all about kind of celebrating the great growth that we've seen here at the center, especially in the past year. 
and celebrating kind of all the people that helped make that possible. It's going to be happening on Saturday, May 6th. You can purchase your tickets or your table, if you prefer, up on our website. Uh, Again, that's chestertonart.org. And then there's still signups going on for the art fair. That's in August 5th and 6th. Tell us about that process real briefly in our last minute. Yeah, absolutely. So we have applications open. They opened up in January and those are open through the end of April. Um, So if you're a local artist and you want a good opportunity to come and show your work and sell with us, the application is also on our website. It kind of walks you through um, giving us some photo examples of work that you make, what you're interested in in terms of media. And it's another great opportunity for local artists and beyond. Very good. Well, we appreciate you coming on Art of the Air. Just give us a quick uh, website information and contact information, uh, Jillian. Absolutely. So again, our website is chestertonart.org. If you have any direct questions, you can email me at programs, that's P-R-O-G-R-A-M-S, at chestertonart.org, and I'll be happy to help you out as well. And that's Jillian Bridgman, Program Director there at Chesterton Art Center. Thank you so much for being on Art on the Air Spotlight. Thank you, Jillian. No problem. Thank you, guys. Art on the Air Spotlight and the full one-hour Art on the Air program on Lakeshore Public Radio is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art on the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP 103.1 FM. We are pleased to welcome Kate Trimmel to Art on the Air. Kate has had a dynamic almost 40 years working in clay so far. Her studies included Spanish and anthropology, which has led her to studying and participating in residencies around the world. In Peru, she learned her paddle and stone technique. Kate is a lecturer and ceramics instructor throughout the country as well as internationally. All that plus maintaining a vibrant personal art practice, exhibiting her exquisite work. Thank you, Kate, for joining Larry and I on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome. It is very nice to have you here. Well, thank you so much for having me. This is such a pleasure. We're so excited to have you on board. And our audience always wants to find out more about our guests. I always call it their origin story. And so we'd like to ask yours how you got from where you were. So where you are now. So tell us about Kate. Well, you know, it's funny. My mother tells this story about how when I was in Montessori school, I used to make turtles out of clay and try to sell them to the other children. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't remember this. <laughs> I don't remember this at all. But, you know, it's interesting. My my parents um, really only did a little bit of college, and they, they um, were always so supportive of uh, all of three of their children to kind of pursuing what they were interested in. And um, both my sister and I are visual artists. Um, and my, my brother is a, a car mechanic. He restores old cars. So we're all kind of artists, I think, in our own way. Um, Very much. But but my, um, my dad was a, a businessman, and he always would encourage me to go to business school and things when I was in college. But he um, he really kind of, you know, always supported whatever I did, I think. So, um you know, as a kid growing up, I played a lot of sports, and and it's been interesting in pre- preparation for this interview, thinking a little bit about, um, you know, my early childhood and uh, experiences in high school. I think, you know, I went to a, a high school in Atlanta, Georgia, the Lovett School, and I, and I think um, I did a lot of art there, and I never really re- realized it. I think, you know, photography and printmaking and painting and um, uh, weaving textiles and, and clay. So it was probably really my first deeper dive into clay was there. And then um, 
before I went on to college, I, I did a, a gap year um, at an English boarding school as part of an exchange program scholarship that I um, received uh, at the St. Helens School in uh, Middlesex, England. And as part of this program, um, I was able to take some pottery classes with some of the elementary school kids. It wasn't something that anyone my age did, but I remember having such a, a positive experience in my high school classes that I, I really wanted to learn and continue to learn how to throw. And so I worked on the pottery wheel there while I was a student, you know, over the course of that year and really enjoyed it. But, um, you know, it was always something I thought of as a, as a avocation, you know, um, I went, uh, then to college the next year to Middlebury College in um, Middlebury, Vermont. And um, I was really interested in uh, speaking Spanish because I had um, been, well, I had also gone to another school in Indiana, actually, to the Culver um, Girls Academy. And there I met kids, you know, from around the world. I grew up in a kind of very white suburb of Atlanta where there really were, was no diversity. You know, there are only a couple of African-American kids in our class. And um, uh, one of the things I really uh, enjoyed about the two years that I was at Culver in a boarding school was um, just hanging out and talking with the other kids in Spanish, which I had been learning. And so uh, I wanted to continue my studies in Spanish uh, at Middlebury. And so I did that. Um, and then I also uh, studied anthropology and uh, sociology, which was one department there. Um, and Middlebury is kind of famous for its language programs. And so they really encouraged students to study abroad. And this was uh, in the mid early 80s. And um, all the programs that they had were sponsored by Middlebury faculty and Middlebury's uh, college. And so they had schools abroad. But I um, really wanted to try to go to Latin America. And so um, I, uh, Hey, what yeah. was your goal? What was your thinking when you did Spanish and anthropology? Where, where did you, what were you looking to do with it at that time? I don't know if I thought about it in so many oh. words, but you know, I think I, I had taken like a so introduction to social, you know, sociology in high school. And I really, you know, was interested in just people and people around the world. And, um, I, you know, I really, I, you know, I, I did an, another thing when I was in college, like my first, I think it was maybe the first summer after my freshman year in college, um, I did a volunteer program um, that I saw in a Newsweek for college students that, that was, you know, stuffed in our mailboxes for free. And it was uh, to work with a group called Amigos de las Américas, and they did volunteer work in Latin America. And so, I mean, that was the first time I'd lived in a foreign country. And so I spent the summer um, uh, building latrines and living with Mexican families. Um, <laughs> and it really is, was kind of transformative, you know, just being able to communicate in another language. It was almost like acting like you could have another personality or something. I think uh, it really appealed to me and just connecting with people who are so different than I was. Um, so I think that was really the most formative experience. And then I went back the second summer as kind of staff and helped organize the volunteers uh, into different communities. And we worked with the Ministry of Health at that time. This was in the mid 80s. And um, so it was kind of really kind of gelling together this sort of moving down a path of maybe doing some kind of development work or, or some kind of, you know, social service work, but traveling. I really enjoyed the traveling. Um, uh, so um, and then, I, you know, I decided uh, to go ahead and do that study abroad year in um, in uh, Peru as a kind of culmination of these studies, you know, at Middlebury. So um, uh 
kind of, I feel like I'm rambling and a is little that, bit. No, no. And is, so is that where you got your hands in clay? Was, I mean, dedicatedly yeah. in Peru? Well, it was a little bit before then. Like, um, as I was, uh, my, my first two years at Middlebury, my roommate took a pottery class at the local community arts center. And um, I was really jealous because um, they didn't have ceramics at Middlebury College. And I, it never occurred to me to study art in any way, but I really did like my, you know, the clay work that I had done. It's just so seductive, you know, it kind of grabs you. Um, and so I decided to sign up for a pottery class my sophomore year too. So I started taking, um, classes at the Vermont State Craft Center in Middlebury, Vermont, uh, with Bob Green, um, who was one of my first teachers. And, um, so after my second summer in, in Mexico, I just, my, my friend who I was working with was changing colleges and I just sort of decided I would think about it too, maybe, and wasn't sure that I wanted to continue down this path of Spanish anthropology or whether I or delve into doing more development oriented work. Um, and I, I just took the semester off. And during that semester, I, I worked in clay uh, pretty much all the time, taking pottery classes and, um, and then I had a day job as a construction worker, uh, <laughs> moving rocks. Well, you need mostly. you need to be strong to work in clay. <laughs> so, yeah. So so I looked for a program. You know, I, I took some time off, and then I, I took in the spring semester. I, I did a a semester uh, long course with the National Outdoor Leadership School um, out of Lander, Wyoming, where we um, uh, were climbing and hiking and uh, kayaking and. Uh, caving and doing doing all different kinds of um, outdoor activities and um, it just was kind of reflecting on what I wanted to do so I um, uh, you know went on this exchange program in Peru because it allowed you to organize an internship so I thought it would be a really cool way for me to find someone that I could do ceramics work with but then also continue down my my sociology uh, anthropology major and I was lucky enough to get credit for uh, working in the ceramic studio for my Spanish major at that time. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was a, it was a really great program. There were only three of us. So I really didn't hang out with a lot of other Americans. And we just, I took classes at um, the Catholic university in Lima. And um, I, I searched around, asked around for anyone working in what would be kind of more traditionally oriented ceramics, someone who had, you know, some experience um, with the, the amazing history of ceramics in Peru, you know, despite its, you know, its, you know, long, rich and diverse history. There wasn't that much contemporary ceramics happening, but um, everyone referred me to an artist named um, Jose Luis Yamunake. And he uh, had a studio um, where he uh, invited, uh, you know, people who were hobbyists to take classes. And they're also kind of a core group of students from the Fine Arts University who really were interested in ceramics. But there was really no clay offered at the Fine Arts University either. Um, uh, they did have one class at the Catholic University, which I took, which was really a design class. And um we used clay to make some simple kind of designed objects, but the clay was so bad. We were just kind of taking clay that had been mined um, and, you know, cleaned for industrial production, uh, you know, but just one clay out of the bag, not mixing it, you know, with anything else. And, um, and it was just really difficult to mix it the way the instructor had us do. I think we spent like three full class periods mixing our clay. Wow. <laughs> oh, but uh, but that studio turned to be turned out to be a really vibrant um, 
community uh, there at, at Jose Luis's uh, studio with um, you know, a group of painters and sculptors. And um, I even met um, another exchange student who was from Spain uh, who had studied ceramics and was um, uh, sponsored by some local nuns. And um, so we worked together and, uh, and ended up living together after a while. So I stayed there about a year and a half, um, you know, learning the traditional technique that I'll say um, – uh, grew up learning. So he had grown up in a family of uh, potters that made ware for uh, fermented corn beer called chicha, oh. which uh, is um, it's boiled in these large vessels that they make, and they use a, a wooden paddle and a stone anvil. So traditionally, you sit on the ground and you hold a, a kind of a leather hard, like cheese, like stiff piece of clay. It's like a bowl, but it's giant. It's probably you know, I don't know. 16 to 18 inches wide by uh and it's kind of like a circle really so it's, it's almost that high uh as well and you it's about three or four three and a half inches thick or so and um they let it they they make these and they let them set up and then they sit on the floor and hold that bowl in the base of their foot and the arch of their foot and then hold a, a big flat rock on the inside and then a wide paddle on the outside and they kind of beat the clay and turn it uh, and that kind of uh, forms and thins and raises the shape, um, almost like you would a piece of metal. And um, once it gets tall enough, they kind of set it up on um, a broken or so, some kind of support, ceramic support. And then they kind of walk around it at a coil as the lip. And then these pieces are probably, um, they're about 30 inches high by, I don't know, 22 inches wide or so. Wow. Wow. <laughs> And then they um, they build a kind of adobe stove around the maybe six of these cantaros um, and then have a stoke hole. And, and then they fill the corn mass, uh, you know, masa, like a kind of ground corn and water in there and they boil it um, for a, a good long while. I don't know the exact amount of time, but, you know, um, <laughs> the better part of a day. And then they um, take it out and they put it in these larger vessels uh, to ferment and these larger vessels are probably four feet uh, around by, you know, three feet tall or so. And it'll sit in there for, uh, you know, almost a week fermenting. And so, you know, in his in his village, you know, his father had made this kind of production. He was he grew up learning this and they um, uh, produced, uh, you know, all different kinds of vessels for serving it and, and producing the, the chicha. So what does chicha uh, taste like? I'm just curious. Yeah, you know, I thought so, too. So I. I mostly worked in Lima with Jose, but I did spend about three weeks in Chulucan, it's his village. Uh, and it's it's a little bit sour and, um, you know, it's hot there. You have to imagine it was like in the 90s and dry. And uh, as soon as I had some in the middle of the day, I had to sit down in the street. Like, I thought it was going <laughs> to out. Yeah. But, um, you know, it was a really integral part of the, the culture there in that area. And there were you know, a handful of, of potters making this traditional ware and everyone would buy it and, and use them up. You know, they would break and have to buy new ones. Um, was there any decorative what, aspect to it or was it purely functional without? No, it really was functional. Uh, it just, you know, the terracotta without any ornamentation at all other than maybe a stamp to indicate the studio it had come from. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
what was interesting is there was an artist named Susan. Uh, well, she's an artist. She's a nun. Um, and um, she, her name is Gloria Joyce. And she was a, a friend and admirer of Susan Peterson, who was a, you know, an artist and a ceramic historian. She wrote a lot of books about um, monographs about different contemporary ceramic artists and textbooks, uh, kind of a survey of, you know, how to and, um, you know, ceramic history. But she, I don't know how many publications she had, but quite a few. And, um, so Gloria was really uh, wanting to develop more contemporary ceramics because she recognized the skill and passion of, you know, a lot of the young people. And she would encourage my teacher, Jose, and other kids, you know, his age to make some of their own, um, you know, sculpture and uh, sculpture and vessel work and try to enter it into competitions. And um, I think, you know, Jose really credits uh, Gloria with having encouraged him to become an artist. So he later went on to... Um, study uh in argentina and italy and you know he really is kind of recognized as one of the foremost peruvian contemporary ceramicists he um you know shows his work uh around the world and um you know has is a teacher and he also works in restoration um at, at, at the present time but uh so what brought you to michigan well, it's interesting. Um, uh, we moved here in 2004 because my husband got a job at the University of Michigan, but I actually had um, been in Michigan uh, for graduate school in the early 90s, from 1993 to 1995. And so it was kind of interesting to come back to Michigan. Um, so uh, after after uh, Middlebury, um, I lived in, in the Vermont area for many years and started exhibiting my work and finally one day my teacher Bob said to me you have to go to graduate school you know you're kind of <laughs> sort of plateauing out here you need to do something else and so um, I applied and was accepted to Cranbrook and I studied uh, at Cranbrook from 1993 to 1995 with Tony Hepburn who had just come from Alfred University and uh, was there at Cranbrook and um, that was a a kind of intimidating experience because I didn't really have much of a formal art background. I kind of came in through the back door, but um, he was really encouraging of trying to find people who had lots of different experiences. And I really appreciate the way he carefully selected his department to have, you know, people who are interested in you know, functional pottery or vessel work or um, sculpture, mixed media sculpture and people who were of all ages. You know, we had students, you know, just out of undergrad and, students in their you know late 40s and it was um you know a nice you know what's great about Cranbrook it's only graduate school and, and our department had 14 <laughs> students so it's a big group of peers you know and it really that is kind of the formative experience and then each studio has a resident and um it really it doesn't have any classes so each department you know decides what the structure should be so it really does teach you you know how to create your art practice you know um, I like his. Um, I like um, one of the things that he told you about uh, cautioning you against creating one-liners or like trendy objects. I thought that that was very um, interesting advice. And so, was that was did that all and did that inform how you created this body of work, which is so distinctive? I mean, I could, you know. I could pick it out out of a whole room filled with ceramics. I would know your pieces. <laughs> oh, you know, I think he always really encouraged us. Uh, he admired slow art, you know, is what he called it, you know, something that could live beyond its time. I mean, that was one of the things that I really love about ceramics is just 
you know, the techniques that we use are not so different than the ones that people used, you know, tens of thousands of years ago, you know? Yeah, that's um, really, truly the beauty of it, that while the piece might be created in modern times, it always maintains its ancestral roots, you know, you just has, it's very ancient. You know, I never tire of just a simple kind of vessel, honestly, you know, just the, the village pot is still something that I, that I think about, you know, in the forms that I'm making are those pieces that those, those cantaros that they use to boil the chicha or to serve it from are still pieces that interest me. You know, I've sort of uh, modified this, the techniques, you know, in my way over time, adding, um, you know, using porcelain clay because uh, when the porcelain, um, is very thin. It's also very strong and gets translucent. But I like the idea of using this kind of intensive beating on the porcelain clay, um, which, you know, has a memory often will kind of deform and, you know, show the process in a way that um, is just kind of, uh, you know, it, it brings the kind of humility of, of those forms and those processes and those people, you know, to the work, I think, that I, that I appreciate, you know. When you started the piercing of your work, it always reminds me of um, like uh, like a house of cards or Jenga. Like how far do you take it before it collapses, you know? So um, did have you had a lot of collapsing? And were, when you were piercing, were you thinking about the secondary shadows that would be created because of the piercings? Yeah, you know, honestly... Um, it seems like I break them at the very end. This must be like the last hole or something like that when they do break. But it is really an exercise in, in patience, you know. Sometimes you have to cover them so they, they don't shrink too quickly because they shrink as they as they dry, you know, and that can create, uh, create you know, tension in the form and cause it to crack if it doesn't dry evenly. Um, uh the the lights, you know, we spent a sabbatical year in Paris because my husband's a French historian, and so we're we've been so lucky uh, to be able to go and live in France a few times. And I worked with an artist there named Fabien Marion, and he and I, he was just opening a studio, um, and so together we kind of forged this new space. And he had been making lamps, and it kind of inspired me. I had been thinking about piercing the forms, but. Um, it was at that time when I really began to think about um, putting light inside. And it wasn't until, you know, it was really process oriented. As as I began to do that, I started to learn more about the bulbs and the kinds of shadows that they create, too. So, um, you know, lighting has, lighting technology has been changing so quickly in the last decade or so. You know, LED lights have different filament structures to create that kind of 360 degree illumination. And that creates a different kind of shadow structure with your form. So it's something that um, I think a lot about now and play with, you know, for sure. You know, real quick, and one of the questions we've been asking some of our guests is how COVID impacted you both as a lecturer and, you know, in your own art practice. Did you kind of withdraw into yourself? Did you create more? So tell us how COVID and the pandemic influenced you. Oh, it was incredibly challenging, Larry. So I've been a lecturer at the Penny Stamp School of Art and Design at the University of Michigan now. This is my 11th year. And without them being actually uh, able to see what they're making was really challenging. Um, but I think, uh, you know, there's been some good things. You know, I ended up recording a lot of demonstrations, which I think the students really appreciate. Having a robust website that really uh, is accessible to them, that they miss class, they can go back or they can watch something again. So that was was really helpful. And then, you know, we did actually meet in person. We were only really... Um, out the, the very beginning of COVID from, you know, March to the end of that first semester. But we did meet uh, in person or hybrid kind of format with, you know, lots of modifications. <laughs> but, um, 
we really appreciated that time together, I think, you know, um, and, and, and there wasn't, you know, too much contagion, I think, in those moments. Well, who knows, you know, but, um, uh, you know, it also gave me some time to do more research. I want to shout out to the Ceramics Materials Workshop. They offered their online um, chem- ceramic chemistry classes to us for free. So we were able to offer that to our students. And I've been using that again and again. And I did lots of glaze research and clay research to try to help some of the problems that I was having with warping with my clay. But um, it's been a really wonderful addition to our community. And um, I, I just finished a crystalline class with them and uh, was really mm. Yeah. Those glazes are so wonderful. It's amazing. And it's so it feels so empowering to know more about the chemistry. So. Well, Kate, we want to give you an opportunity to tell us about a website, how people can find your work online, maybe get in touch with you or however you want to do that. And any exhibits or things you have coming up like later this in March or April or later this year? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Larry. So I have a solo show that opens on April the 22nd at the Signature Gallery uh, in Atlanta, Georgia. And then I'll also be participating in the New Orleans Jazz Fest Contemporary Craft Section uh, on the second weekend of the fair this year. So um, I'm busy working for that, trying to get everything all ready. But um, I have an Instagram account that's Tremel, T-R-E-M-E-L, Kate, K-A-T-E, and um, my website is just my name, katetremel.com, so you can see more of my work or get in touch. Very good. And we'll have a link on your picture that's on our website, and they will take you right to the website. Kate Trimmel, uh, thank you so much for coming on Art in the Air and sharing your entire journey and experience with our audience. Thank you. Thanks, Hester. Thanks, Larry. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP, 103.1 FM. We would like to welcome Nick Orbovich, Sonny Gardner Orbovich, and Melissa Bohacek to Art on the Air. Nick's accolades are tremendous, and his highly acclaimed career spans a wide variety of musical styles and genre. He is a violinist and also co-founder of the Michigan City Chamber Music Festival. Sunny is co-founder of the Music Festival as well as the Education Director. She co-founded the Michigan City Ecumenical Community Children's Choir and is founder of the annual Children's Choir Institute. Melissa is the Development and Marketing Officer at Paladin. Paladin advocates for children and persons with disabilities. Thank you all for joining Larry and I on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome. Thanks for having us. Well, we'll start with Melissa because you're new to the show and we've had Nick on before. We haven't had Sonny on before, but we actually want to ask you some questions just about you, your personal background, then maybe just a brief thing about uh, where you're doing there at Paladin. So uh, Melissa, how you got from where you were to where you are now. Tell us about yourself. Oh, gosh, how does anyone get from where they were to where they are? It's a whole story. The short version is that I worked in Lake County for quite some time um, in the aging aging and low-income arena. I loved that. It was really great. After the pandemic, though, I kind of decided that I'd like to focus a little more closer to home. Uh, So we... um, I I left my job there after 15 some years and then found Paladin, which really great about Paladin is I'm a mother of an adult with disabilities. And so as I was looking for opportunities um, to grow and and kind of lend my expertise in marketing, I found this great organization um, and then found out that we do so much for the community and really sort of fell in love. And then, uh, 
you know, Nick and, and Sunny and I have known each other for many years. I think they knew my sister even before they knew me. And um, when we sort of figured out that we were all in the same place and had an opportunity to collaborate together, we were all, you know, all, all on board, all in. And they've already done a few things at Paladin, um, bringing music and art to folks who really really can use it. Um, and I'll get into that a little bit too, but just on the surface, our folks maybe haven't been exposed to this type of collaboration, this type of music, and it's been really uh, eye-opening and wonderful. Melissa, I want to dial you back a little bit though. We want to know about your origin story. So like where you grew up, uh, schools, <laughs> things like that, uh, that kind of thing Got too. Got it. Okay. All right. So we're going to get a, a little more personal. So I am a twin. I grew up in rural Ohio. And so those who know and love rural Ohio, it's a lot like rural Indiana. Um, not too much, but when uh, my my sister actually moved here uh, to a Long Beach and I was visiting and I fell in love with the area, the lake. I mean, my goodness, people come here for vacation. I thought I want to live where um, there's a lake and a dune and <laughs> sand and um, kind of not landlocked in, in Ohio, although I'm a Buckeye for life graduated from the <laughs> Ohio State University, um, which I get a little guff for up here, but that's okay. Um, uh, my degrees were in uh, English and psychology, um, which, you know, made me the master of everything and nothing all at the same time. And so I loved, um, I loved the reading and the poetry. Uh, and so I stayed in Ohio for quite, quite a while until again, I, I, visited my sister, um, the lake, the sand, the dunes, the community. It really reminded me um, of a place where I grew up, but also kind of a opportunity for to live a new dream. And then my sister had uh, a baby and it was all over. I just put my <laughs> stuff in the Camry and, and drove up <laughs> and then started here. Yeah, I met my husband at... Um, uh, labor days in um, Michigan City. So. <laughs> so, so now you are part of Northwest Indiana. Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about, I know we've had you on before, but just kind of remind the audience outside of the intro a bit about your background and we'll also move on to Sunny after that. And, and then we'll talk about the collaboration here. Oh, yes. If I would have gone into everything that Nick has done, it would have, I would have taken up the whole show just with that. So <laughs> I never know where to begin. Uh, I was born in Queens, New York, um, but we moved away from there while I was still a little boy. And I actually grew up in Steubenville, Ohio. I'm also from the Buckeye State, Melissa. So um, I went to college in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, Carnegie Mellon and Duquesne University. And then I got my master's at DePaul University in Chicago. And I've been in the Midwest ever since, and that's been about 30 years. Um, lived in uh, Michigan City with Sonny for about uh, over 20 years now. And um, we started our family there. And I've been keeping my career as a uh, concert violinist and director of the festival and with the South Bend Symphony Orchestra um, for pretty much that whole time. Very good. Duquesne University, were you part of the Tamboritsons? I was not, but ah. I knew very, very well. Uh, I did audition for them and did get accepted, but... Um, 
the the schedule of trying to become a, a concert violinist was too intense, and um, I still keep in touch with a, a lot of those fellows. Yeah, they're fine organization. Sonny, tell us about yourself. Uh, I'm from Kansas. <laughs> I went to <laughs> yes, I went to Wichita State and got my degree in painting and drawing, and then um, years passed. But I always had a very deep interest in music, and uh, I played the viola. I took lessons, and there in Wichita, we have a nice symphony in Wichita, the Wichita Symphony, and I took lessons from one of the violists in that symphony, and uh, just always treasured in my heart a great love of great music. And so when I met Nick and he began talking to me about this, oh, and I got a certification in in teaching art after years passed and was in a public school teaching career when we met. So um, I was just always in love with great music. And when he told me that he wanted to start a festival, I fell in love with that idea. We were already married, <laughs> but I fell in love again and just like a dream. It's a it's a wonderful dream come true to be able to bring great music to just the kind of people that I grew up around, people who deeply appreciate having these wonderful musicians come to our small town and play concerts that are truly splendid, spectacular. So Sunny, back in Kansas, um, yes. did you, was your family artistic? And, and how, uh, can you describe yourself as an elementary school student and high school student in the arts? What were your arts experiences? Well, they thought that lessons, music lessons were important. That was just a very middle-class value back then, having a piano in the home and everybody taking piano, getting a basic, you know, something that they couldn't have themselves growing up in the Depression. So it was just, you know, de rigueur, it was expected. We were, um, my dad was a teacher. So no, we didn't have any artistic <laughs> interest at all. They. They were kind of blown away by my the depth of my interest in the orchestra and in in art. It so, did just, you have did you have visual arts in school? Did you gravitate toward it? Because I can tell you, when I went into your classroom, all I could hear about was Miss Geo, Miss Geo, Miss Geo, <laughs> all the time. Well, yes. I it, by the time I was in high school, we had art. Um, it was really, really nice art department. Two art teachers at a high school. I don't know if that's considered normal now, but one of them, I mean, there was such freedom in that, in that art classroom. We had the Beatles and all kinds of rock music playing. And, <laughs> you know, it was a, a real hotbed of, uh, you know, well, all kinds of naughtiness. <laughs> 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 but, 
but it was it was wonderfully free. It was a, we, there was clay art sculpture, just anything, anything you wanted to do. More freedom than I would be comfortable with giving any group of children at this point in my life. <laughs> well, Melissa, I think back to you. Uh, I think we want to talk about what you do and what Paladin does. Tell us a little bit about that before we get into how you guys are collaborating. But tell us what the mission is there and you know how you're involved with that and everything. Okay. Yeah. And Sunny just reminded me, you know, my family, I just, my parents aren't around anymore, but I appreciate them and what they've given me um, and my background. We had a piano in the home, you know, we had, did the hand choir at Bell Hand Choir at church and all of that was very, very much a, like she said, a kind of Midwest middle income kind of thing that uh, was a, something that was important to them. So I, I was thinking of back. She was taking me back a little bit, painting those pictures of my childhood too. So I want to just appreciate that. Our um, Paladin, it's just this amazing organization that helps people care for individuals. And really it is, we were talking about it this morning. Um, it helps individuals um, who are even uh, in prenatal care. Uh, so we can take individuals who um, need uh, help getting to uh, prenatal appointments. So we have a transportation department. Somebody was, uh, I was a little distracted. I apologize. Um, so for our transportation, we are moving, aiding people in mobility um, and individuals who perhaps they don't have a car right now. Perhaps they need to get to a dialysis or an important medical appointment. Perhaps they need to, um, you know, travel to see a loved one. We, we have that service for all of LaPorte County. Um, we also have our children and Sunny um, is, you know, already familiar with our children and the children's choir. Um, those individuals, the little from infant to four and five-year-olds, we offer early childhood education experiences for them. Um, they come in 7.30 to 4.30 and they have real curriculum uh, that we work on um, with those you know, with those little kids. And then we have our adults with disabilities and we offer just a variety of supports. And the goal behind it is really to help people to live a meaningful, independent life, um, have access to supports and community like we all do. Um, so whether that is trips out in the community because many of them don't drive, um, opportunities to work uh, at your local you know, restaurant or we have individuals all over uh, LaPorte and actually Lake County as well in employment positions. We have day programs where those individuals who uh, who maybe need some time off or don't have a place to go to, they've graduated from high school setting, they come here and we have a variety of activities for them. So that's kind of Paladin in a nutshell. You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP, 103.1 FM. So how did you, um, so were you the one that approached Nick with the Paladin collaboration and what made you what made you think of it 
Well, other than being close friends with them, of course. Yeah. I don't remember how it actually started. Uh, Nick, did you approach me or did I approach you? Melissa, you approached us. And, okay. Uh, I appro- It was my great idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. I'm not. I'm not sure, but I, I couldn't remember. Um, but it makes perfect sense. Um, again, we reach these individuals who may be low income, may have limited access, limited mobility. They don't have the opportunities to run out to the symphony or to go to a Broadway show in in uh, Chicago, and what. I think is just extraordinary is we have, and I sort of, I sort of keep thinking I'm playing around with this, but like world-class musicians in a comfortable setting, you know, sometimes we just need exposure, but we're a little scared to go into um, something that may seem a bit intimidating, you know? So if um, I just think what Nick and Sunny are doing is, is just, just completely incredible. Yeah, they're both treasures to the community. And so, I love, I, I read the article on that first concert um, that started with dancing and included kazoos and, and the opportunity to ask questions, which is so important to engage um, with it. But I, I love the the, I mean, just from reading it, the freedom of it. I mean, how can how can anybody not become engaged with the music then? So and I can was you just- surprised how much they knew as well. How much the participants, the people in the mm-hmm. audience, when Sunny was asking questions, they could really pinpoint wind, um, or we were asking what wind or brass. I think, and, and really some insightful um, comments and and answers. So that was exciting for me. Yeah, they were paying attention. Nick, how does this involve the uh, chamber group? Or is it mostly you and Sonny? But uh, how is the the group actually doing? And then tell us maybe about some of the things you have in terms of concerts or events that are coming up. Yes, it's very important to us uh, to have a very strong educational outreach. And one of the reasons I was so grateful that Melissa had contacted us, and she just had an idea of having us come to Paladin to perform several concerts. And so it just grew from there and grew very quickly. She's now on the Michigan City uh, Chamber Music Festival Board of Directors, and uh, she is incredibly helpful. And so we're going to have our children's concerts at Paladin uh, Properties, whether it's Head Start or Imagination Station or the main branch of Paladin on Michigan City Boulevard. Um, And it's very important you know, to us that we bring in world-class Grammy-nominated Gramophone Magazine of the Year award winners to children's concerts to perform for the children. Um, And that's what we're doing coming up on April 10th. Imagination Station is having an event that day, that week, actually. And we're going to have a string quartet to play at 9 in the morning for the wee ones at Imagination (laughs) Station. And then at 11 o'clock, uh, we're traveling over to, is it Paladin, the main location? Yeah, um, to perform another concert. And one for the wee ones is going to be about animals. The ones later on is going to be about string instrument techniques. And Sonny is going to be very instrumental uh, with the string quartet in describing and kind of setting things up for us. And then come in August, we're going to have three more concerts 
for children, but really they're family concerts. Adults love the concerts just as much as the children. So um, if you're interested in the schedule, check out our website, which is uh, M, as in Michigan, mccmf.org, mccmf.org. And we'll put a link on our website on the, the picture that we use. Um, just an idea from the Port County Symphony, do you think you might do something like a instrument petting zoo? Uh, sometime, yeah, yeah, why not? Right now, um, it's even more important just to get this great music to the children, to get them interacting with the musicians, you know. And, and yeah, instrument petting zoos have been very common, you know, for generations now. So, yeah, and well, we've had them do that. So Excellent. So, so Sonny, tell us a little bit more about the educational component, uh, what you know, you're involved with, what ideas you have to bring to the fore. Well, uh, with these littlest concert goers, it's so exciting to be with them, you know, and uh, to be able to bring, like, like Nick says, great music to the, the tiniest of us, the, sm- the youngest. Um, I don't know. I think that it's very important to show them respect. <laughs> it, it's, it's a respect that we give to the youngest and that will bring them into our world. And to do this, we really have to kind of come down and enter into their world. So I'll be down on their level, down on my <laughs> knees and on my bottom with them on theirs. And we will start the concert with movement my favorite brain gym and very easy movements just things that little kids like to do jumping around stretching um touching our toes and making asking questions and and getting them involved introducing them to the members of the musical group that we'll that nick and i will bring to their world. Yes. Those actual experiences are so important because you can say, oh, piano or violin, but until you actually, and especially when you have these world-class musicians that are in these children's ears or adults, um, that's where the connection happens. It's And yeah. when they see them playing, when they hear them playing, and then they, that's the time to go, oh gosh, I, you know, I could do that too, or I want to play that instrument, or it's just like such a beautiful collaboration. Yes, and there's always a nature connection. Um, we Our program is about animals, the animal theme for the little ones, and, you know, animals make noises, so we'll <laughs> have a song that imitates the noises that animals make, and animals have peculiar movements so we'll imitate those and just making that barrier a little more penetrating the barrier between fine art and little tiny children so if you can tell us maybe real quickly a little bit more about the relationship here website everything like that and maybe a other concert you have outside of the relationship with paladin that you have for the chamber sure our website once again mccmf.org and we'll be uh, having an updated schedule on there within uh, the next couple of days. Um, this collaboration is April 10th at Imagination Station and at Paladin, and it's for the, the clients there. 
Um, the next event we have is April 17th, which is a violin and piano concert from Jameson Cooper and Ketavan Badriza, uh, amazing musicians. That's April 17th, 7 p.m. at St. Mary's Church in Michigan City. And we'll have a lovely reception afterwards. We'll have that information up on uh, site pretty soon. The festival itself, our famous nine-day festival, is August 12th through the 20th. And this year, our yearly theme is Many Musics, Many Peoples. And we are highlighting music that's been written by the great composers that have been underserved from underserved (laughs) communities, people of color, people with disabilities, LGBTQ composers. And we're going to be highlighting a lot of that. And um, that's our theme for this year. Well, we appreciate you all coming on Art in the Air and sharing about this great festival idea. Uh, Melissa Bohacek from Paladin, Sunny Gardner Orovich, and Nick Orovich, thank you so much for coming on Art in the Air and sharing your story and the great idea. Yes, thank you for being in Michigan City so much. Thank you. We'd like to thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP 103.1 FM, streaming live at WVLP.org, and every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM, also streaming live at LakeshorePublicRadio.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Radio's website as a podcast. Our spotlight interviews are also heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Radio. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operations for Lakeshore Public Radio, and Greg Kovach, WVLP Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art in the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant through South Shore Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Art in the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio, Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker, and for WVLP, Walt Breidinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art on the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good, and you'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air. If you're interested in being a guest or sending us information about your arts, arts-related event, or exhibit, please email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, B-R-E-C-H dot com. Or contact us through our Facebook page. Your hosts were Larry Breckner and Esther Golden, and we invite you back next week for another episode of Art on the Air. Aloha, everyone. Have a splendid week. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Larry. Art on the air today. Stay in the know with Larry and Esther. Art on the air our way. Express yourself through art. And show the world your heart, express yourself through art, and show the world.